Welcome back to the 12-Sided Guys. We have Matt as Pine. Well, hello. Scott as Roos. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. <gasps> Salutations. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as insert mildly humorous joke here. Pause for groans. <laughs> there have certainly been some tough fights of late. The battle in the Kagori was pretty epic, IMHO, and it makes it even more epic when you can see the battle maps we use for our encounters. If you want to see where Pine sat at the bar or the window Roos and Nari climbed in, or most importantly, all of the accoutrement and paraphernalia that Ember left in her room when she left Tabory to join the JV team, become a patron. Certain levels give you access to the maps and wiki that I keep up with as the story progresses. And if you like this adventure, then tell your friends and family to check us out as well. Anyway, if you ever had a time-traveling friend named Curtis that used to eat monster parts, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 60. Things, Paul. First off, I don't think you're a chode. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say that sounded like chode? I am a chode. That's internet shorthand for in my humble opinion. I know, I know. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. There's a reason why it's I knew out. what you meant, Paul. Because I'm yeah, young. Thank and you. <laughs> I am a chode. Hey, Paul, number two. I I totally know what you're talking about. I figured that Matt would be the only one who knew what I was talking about. Either Curtis or Gloria or um, Arthur or Sharon. Um, yeah, Matt, why didn't you clue us into what this video game was? It was uh, Final Fantasy Legends 3 for the yes. Game Boy. <laughs> wow. Was it the Game Boy Color at least? No, no, this is no. pre this is pre Game Boy Color. Mm hmm. This was mm -hmm. pea green screen. Classic. This was when we were we couldn't get enough uh, Final Fantasy, but they were weren't they weren't uh, kicking them out fast enough, so we had to resort to games like Final Fantasy Legends three or Final Fantasy Mystic Quest um, or Paladin's Quest. Those random RPGs that they released a lot in the nineties. So anyway. In the afternoon, after the bloody battle of the Kagari, after the liberation of the Kagari, we join Roos as he sits in the small shrine, the quiet space that is set aside for worship of the, of the lesser revered lords and ladies in the city of Tabori. All right, Jaffa. I don't really know how this is supposed to work, but uh, I guess I'll just start talking. I feel like I go from one problem to the next. Well, that's not true. I go five years, five uneventful, perfect years. But the moment the group is back together, in three days we've had more trouble than I had in all of that time put together. Here, here! <laughs> no, that's not true. I've been with Pine and Nari. It was the moment Ebby showed up. That's when it all changed. Hey! <laughs> Come on, guys! Come on! Now. That, this is hey, this is this is Roos being honest with uh, a god that he doesn't really know how to have a relationship with yet. <laughs> that damn Angus—he took Rolf's sword after the riot five years ago. We dealt with the tower troop, but an adjudicator's on the way. 
even though the Empire is gone, their judicial arm is still operating on some level. If they could track down Rolf's weapon, they'll probably be able to find Nari's axe. Hine learned that they can't appoint a new adjudicator until they get the weapon back. I'll tell Kira to, to melt down Rolf's sword to remove that problem. Kira. I saved her life. So why don't I feel better about myself? Years now, I've regretted my decision to arrest her. It led to her crippled leg and her marred skin, and, and I told myself over and over if I ever had the chance to save her life, I could absolve myself of my bad decisions. I've tried to be a better man. I can still see her laying in her own blood as that woman chanted some profane prayer to Iramiel. However you say that guy's name. Why don't I feel any different? I proved to her that I'm a better man. I nearly took her life, and now I saved it. That should balance out my actions. Why don't I feel any different? Is this growing old? Piling on all my mistakes, all the bad choices I've made, and desperately trying to prove that I'm a good person? I, honestly, I don't even know if you're listening, Jaffa. I doubt Laramie actually listened to any of the prayers to him. Who knows? I don't know how I'm supposed to communicate with you. Or if I'll ever do this again. But I do have one important question. Where did you stand on the matter of inevitability? She's not going to answer me. liberal use of the word I saved my sister's life <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair I know. Um, as I recall <laughs> the rest of us were like run run <laughs> <laughs> run away oh man wow okay very good um, let's jump back to the Kagri at the end of our last session all of the bailiffs that had taken over the Kagri had been killed or subdued I counted them up. I think I told our players the wrong number last time. I said like 15 or 16 had been killed or subdued. I've actually now gone through and listened to it. There were actually a total of 13 bailiffs that were killed or subdued. Um, we have two that got knocked out at the end of the fight. We have um, 11 that were killed, including their leader, Fern, the kind of half-orc bailiff uh, who... Nari and Roos fought by themselves. And here we are in the Kagri on the first floor, uh, dead bodies lying around as the doors open up and in walk three of the constables that had come to the Kagri earlier, um, trying to help set things right and finding that uh, they have totally missed the battle. Um, just to set the stage a little bit more, we have Brinby and Hebo, as well as uh, Briok, the kind of dwarven lightning swordsman uh, who came to their aid last time. They are there, as well as three dead townsfolk. I think immediately Pine would uh, and they say, Burnby, it's so good to see you, but we have to we have to get things settled here quickly. And then he'd immediately go about trying to like see if the, the dead townsfolk are truly dead or if they can be healed or any of that. He calls over the constables um, to take the two bailiffs into custody. Um, okay. Yeah, I think, I think Pine's going to try to take control of the room. 
Yeah, the constables come up to you and they say, Ambassador Pine, yes, uh, it, it, what would you have us do? Take these two bailiffs, um, make sure that they have no weapons on them, take them to the keep, to the, the dungeons there. I don't think that the, the jail cells in the constabulary will be enough for these two. They're quite formidable. He, he nods and he says, we, we could always use the oubliette. Well, yes. Paul, what's an oubliette? Oubliette, more like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So an oubliette, I had to look this up because I've been hearing about it since Final Fantasy XII. An oubliette is a, it's like a prison cell where basically they just open up a pit and toss you in the pit and close it up um, with like a, a cell. It's just, it's just, it's like a 10 foot, 15 foot deep pit um, that they can throw a whole bunch of people in. Some of the actual oubliettes in real life sometimes were like the size of a coffin and yeah. were like laying down. And so they would literally lay them in those holes and then just leave them there. Ugh. Yeah. So it, so the constable says, we have an oubliette in, at the constabulary in the basement. Um, it hasn't been used for a long time, but it's it's 12 feet deep. We can use that or we can take them to the castle, which whichever you prefer. But I assure you, we, we have the means to hold them in the constabulary. Make sure they're secure. Okay, he salutes you. Yes, sir. And, and then immediately the next thing. Who here knows these... Um, it was men, women. Who? What's the what's the uh, the dead villager situation? Uh, two two men and one woman. Roos is going to walk over to the dead uh, civilians and ask Squire. Squire, do you uh, you see their souls floating around anywhere? Have they left their bodies yet? Uh, is that something that he can do? Um, I have the ability Bayard Repose. I can touch a living creature that has zero hit points to make them stable. And so, how I want to flavor that is is. Uh, squire making sure their souls don't leave their body okay well let's do a couple of quick checks okay i'm gonna roll a d20 three times and we'll see what we come up with actually two of them are fighting one of them is gone one of the men is actually expired two of them you feel like you could keep their souls close by okay um Bruce is gonna point at the at them to squire and say just do your thing don't let their souls leave their bodies yet i picture like corralling him or like have you ever seen little kids play basketball and when they're on defense <laughs> and they're not even paying attention to the ball they're just like right there on their man like keeping him from going anywhere yeah oh, see i was thinking i was thinking that he would pull out a butterfly catching net and start running around the room trying to catch <laughs> his souls <laughs> no I, I envision squire just kind of sitting next to um next to them and comforting them in a way that no other onlooker would be able to see except for me. Yeah. The, in fact, as you're watching, the only thing that you can tell that even Squire is there, I mean, you know, he's there, but you can see he moves one of, he touches their heads and one of them, you can see the hair move just, just the slightest bit as he kind of touches the head and, and kind of calms these, these two, um, these two restless spirits down. And I think while Reese is doing that, I think Nari would be trying to find uh, their leader Fern and kind of just going over that dead body and seeing what's, What's what there? Sure thing, yeah. Fern is still upstairs where you left him, right outside of uh, Ember's room. Yeah, I'm going to go up there and I'm kind of going to go through his pockets and see if I can find any source of information about um, this adjudicator who's coming, apparently. Okay. Um, so as you're going through him, you see that he has like this medallion in the shape of a tower that has like been kind of basically stapled into his forehead, um, kind of a little bit off to the side. Um, and um, as you're looking at it, um, it looks kind of, it looks, it looks well-made. Um, like it's not just like a crude piece of iron or anything like that. Um, it's a piece of jewelry almost. 
Um, you look at him, he's wearing some armor. His armor is splint armor, which you know um, could fetch a pretty good price. It's actually, um, it's AC 17 um, heavy armor. Uh, he's got a great sword. It looks like it's well-made and it looks like it's seen a lot of, of use. Um, as far as in his pockets, you find uh, a bag full of some coins, um, about 52 gold pieces worth of money. And you do find on one ring, you on one finger, you do find a ring. And on the ring, there is also this tower motif. It looks almost like a signet ring. Like this is what he would use to like stamp a wax seal. Cool. So I will definitely take the gold in the ring. And then am I able to relatively easily remove that tower piece of jewelry medallion that's attached to him? If you have a dagger, you can stick it under there and pry it off like a screwdriver under a nail or something like, you know, that yeah, you should okay, be able to get let's it off. Do that. Oh, you're going to do that? Do you have a claw yeah. hammer? <laughs> as you, oh gosh. I do. I have, uh, I think I just have a standard like dagger as part of my, yeah. Yeah, perfect. That's easy enough. You just, uh, you stick it under there and you start prying off and eventually it kind of goes thunk and you can feel it pop off. The medallion goes kind of flying into the air, uh, lands on the in the hallway, and you uh, go over and you find it. And sure enough, it has like a one tack on the back. Um, and uh, yeah, it just looks like it's well made. Some kind of a brooch pin of some kind that was tacked into his head instead of into his cloak. And I don't feel any sort of like weird power or anything coming from it? Um, no. Okay. But you don't have that skill. I guess that's true. Yeah. All right. And then, Ebby, what are you doing? You know, my guess is that Ebby's probably kind of meandering through the, any of the wounded villagers, people like that, maybe trying to help uh, medically, trying to stabilize people if there's anybody that's too hurt. And also, I think any of the downed bailiffs, um, he might also investigate their downed bodies to see if there's any kind of, you know, anything useful, notes or valuable magic items or anything that might you know be useful um as you start going through these bodies you you find a lot of splint mail um so the two guys that got knocked out were both wearing splint as well as one two three um three of the dead bodies were wearing splint you see three sets of plate armor which is very expensive and then you see three suits of half plate so uh three mm. half plates three full plate three splint um, you see then also three long swords and three short swords and then six great swords. Got it. As far as money um, on each of them, they each have some money. Um, it looks like there is 45 gold pieces uh, amongst all of them. Cool. Well, I will casually pocket all of the gold <laughs> as one does. And then I'm going to loudly stand up and point at the bodies wearing the breastplate and other armor and say, uh, dibs, everybody, <laughs> just so you know, dibs <laughs> on all the armor. We slew them. That means we get to, uh, you know, uh, you get to take what they have. That's the rules. I didn't write them. That's, that's just the rules here. Finders keepers. <laughs> you see in nature, wolves take what they have. I'm surprised you didn't go in. The pack... Um, the cancer, <laughs> the wolf can't survive without the pack. And so he takes the armor of his fall. Anyway. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, um, yeah, people are kind of the, the crowd is kind of coming down off this high Angus comes down the stairs as well. I forgot to say that Angus has now come down the stairs as well. He's looking around the bar. Um, 
you know, he's kind of investigating anything that's broken. Um, he's going around clapping people on the shoulder. Uh, Abby, as you go around from uh, to the different people also, you see that the majority of the of the villagers who are hurt, it's just like bruises, um, a few little cuts. It seems like the first salvo from the uh, from the bailiffs is when those three were taken down. And after that, pretty much the villagers had everything in, in hand. They tackled them and swarmed them and just beat them terribly. That's wonderful. I'm very happy to hear that. So as as Abby was kind of looking over those bodies, Pine would be putting some order to taking the uh, the items from the bodies and bringing the corpses out and like like stacking them outside of the kegery to kind of start getting this cleanup and this whole melee out of here. Gotcha. So are you stripping the bodies before you start stacking them up or what? Um, more constables start to show up as well. Those, uh, those uh, first original three, two of them left um, dragging one of the unconscious constables out to like a wagon. And then they came back in and grabbed the other one. Um, and then uh, probably five or six other constables have shown up now to help kind of figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah, we're, I think we're, we're taking those things before we take them out of the kegery. Yeah. And I think uh, while they're doing that, Nari would kind of come down and sort of show the pendant that she had gotten um, from Fern and ask anyone if they knew why someone would button this to their head instead of their cloak. Doesn't understand fashion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys can all make, anybody can make an arcana or a history or a religion check. Um, that's fine. Pine rolled a five on his arcana. Nari actually rolled an 18, so that's not bad. Roos got a 20 on history. <laughs> Ebu got a two on his arcana. Nice. So Roos rolled history. What did you roll, Nari? Arcana. Arcana. Okay. With your arcana check, you think that maybe maybe there's something to this? Like maybe it's some kind of a talisman um, that he, you know, wears uh, as like a, maybe it's got some kind of magical protection or something to it. Maybe there's a magical effect and it has to be, sometimes magical items are weird like that. Um, uh, Roos, as you do your history check of 20, you have heard of things like this before in the past with other cultures. This kind of, um, it's kind of a body modification as far as uh, showing devotion to a, to a specific cause. Uh, this is not unheard of among certain like very zealous uh, groups. But yeah, I'm just, I'm going to stick with, I don't think he understood fashion. <laughs> Obviously, that's supposed to be like a, a tie tack or something. <laughs> it does kind of look like an oversized tie tack. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very excited to interrogate the uh, the bailiffs that we left alive, I guess. We've got a few people to talk to. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden I became a character on Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a regular Briscoe or whatever his name was. <laughs> Briscoe. Lenny Briscoe. <laughs> uh, I was an Angie Harmon fan. Anyway, um, Brinby um, comes walking up to you guys as you guys are kind of discussing what to do and as you're kind of stripping these bodies and he, he puts his hand on your shoulder pine and he says, Lieutenant General, it is good to see you and to see you back in action. <laughs> it's good to be back in action. I feel like I've missed a step here and there, but it feels good. It feels good. Good to see you too, Brinby. Looks like you... um. Have some new friend and old friend. Yeah, Hebo and I have been traveling together since, well, since the shattering. We we were here helping Kira for a while, and I mean, that got boring, I guess you could say. So we're we're striking out on our own. But we we met Briok here, and he's a uh, he's been a valuable asset to our to our group. And then you see Briok is kind of standing off behind Brinby a little bit. Um, 
coy or shy is kind of the wrong word, but he's just kind of staying back. I think it's more that he just he knows that he was once our enemy and doesn't quite know how we're going to respond to him. Right. Right. And he, he keeps kind of eyeing each of you in turn. Um, he as you guys look at him, he will make eye contact with you and he will not like flinch away. Um, but he is not stepping forward to speak. He's kind of he's kind of testing the air. I'll say to to Brinby, like, Briok is his name, you say. Yes, we've we've met before, actually, on opposite sides of a conflict. Oh. Briok, it's good to have you on on our side this time. Yeah, as you say that, you see his shoulders relax. And he takes his hand off of the pommel of his sword, which you didn't really realize he was doing, but he kind of relaxes. He he stands up a little straighter and he says, Yes, it's I did not expect to see you all here. I, I'm glad that we can fight alongside each other this time. Last time was a mess. It was a, it was such a mess, and and I can't blame you for the the actions of your employer. Unfortunately, well, our conflict was with her, not with you, and we tried to leave as many standing as possible in the in that fight. Yes, actually, I returned to the battlefield after after and i i saw that only one of our number was killed alongside of <clears throat> the big guy but um i appreciate you leaving sonara alive she picked the wrong employer but i didn't mean that she had to had to die that day maybe we'll cross paths with her again too who knows that would be fun i think <laughs> <laughs> You did just cross paths with her hat just just earlier today. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm more interested in uh, handsome Squidward than uh, so. <laughs> dear me. All right, that's who I want to cross paths with. You just play your cards right; it might happen. Oh gosh. <laughs> so yeah, so constables start showing up. They start um, helping haul out these bodies. Uh, one of the constables comes over, and uh, he comes over to um, Roos. He comes over to you. And he says, uh, your highness, I am unsure what we should do with these bodies. Do we bury them? Do we burn them? Do we save them? Do we hold them for something, for trial or something? No, I'll, I'll speak with Kira, but each one of these men deserve a burial. And I might have disagreed with what their beliefs were, but they're still people. Artarian does not necessarily discriminate between who is to go back into the cycle of life. I'll look at one of the bodies that they're hauling out and I'll say, yeah, I think that one there will grow some real good potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Just, just throw them into the Artarian. Um, what do you, what did you, what did, yeah, the compost bin. Yeah. Compost. Yeah. Gosh, the compost bin. <laughs> the most sacred oh, temple to Lady Atarian. You got to be sure to rotate that every couple of days, you know. <laughs> Don't want a fire. They can spontaneously combust, you know. Um, the few villagers that are still in here, Angus actually starts going around and starts uh, pouring drinks for everybody. And the mood starts to, as the, as the bodies leave, the mood rises until the last body is hauled out and the people that are still in here are kind of celebrating the liberation of the Kagari. And, you know, people start breaking out in song and there's claps on the back and there's a toast to the memory of the fallen. Um, but they see this as a great victory. Does Angus pull out a caution wet floor sign? <laughs> Jeez. 
<laughs> Cuidado. Um, <laughs> uh, no, he does not. He's uh, he's uh, he's uh, celebrating right along with everybody else. I will say uh, to to uh, Angus, I don't want to ruin the celebration, but we need to talk about that sword, Angus. He kind of looks a little sheepish, um, and he says, "Yeah, I I I guess we better." And he goes, uh, he goes into the back room, and he comes back out with uh, this large wrapped um, uh, bundle in his hands, and he sets it on the bar. And uh, he says, "I, I hope one day to to mount it over the over the fireplace as a trophy and a memory of the uh, of the the hanging and what happened here that they when we stood up to the empire and we we told him to to get lost and we kicked him in the nose, but." I never got around to it, and now it seems like maybe it's more trouble than it's worth. So, and then he kind of slides it over to you guys, and he says, uh, you, why don't you do with it what, what you will? I, I don't want it anymore. Wow, this was, took a lot less convincing than I, than I thought it would. <laughs> Angus, oftentimes you seem to be itching for a fight. He looks down at his wrists, um, where they're still a little bit ra- uh, raw from being shackled to the wall. With the fur-lined handcuffs. <laughs> um, yeah, he says, uh, I didn't expect such such zealots to come after it. And uh, uh, I think after the events of the hanging and after the events of today, I think that you deserve this trophy far more than I do. Well, I think there's potentially a better memorial that we could put in place. But unfortunately, we're not done with the Tower of Adjudication. Seems uh, we have to prepare for the arrival of some important guests. Rinbi, Hebo, Berlock, what's your name again? Briok. Briok is my name. Yes. Brioche. Um. (laughs) It very well may be Brioche. I don't know. I just random name generators and I just kind of say it as best as I can. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, uh, well, um, Rinby, Ebo, Briok, I hope you'll stay around. Yeah, it seems like it seems like you'll need us. And then he uh, reaches out and he shakes your hand and he says, "Blossoming storm of the western sky, it's been great to fight by your side again." Oh, well, <clears throat> we can talk later, but um, there's again, there's no need for formality and. And then I'll kind of lean in close and I'll say, and it doesn't really apply to me anymore. He's being coy. He loves it when you do that. That's what I was going to say. Like, he's blushing. Roll an insight check. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and roll an insight check. Anybody can roll an insight check that wants to. Um, and it's funny you say, um, you know, no need for formality as every time you walk by the constables, they're saluting you, Lieutenant General, and they call you Lieutenant General or Ambassador. <laughs> Roos got a 27 insight. Yeah, now you got a 21. You know, I'm not going to roll an insight on that. <laughs> Abby's just going to double down on it. Awesome. Yeah, I think Roos and uh, and uh, Nari, you sense there is something more going on that, uh, that Pine's not uh, telling you. Pine looks disappointed and maybe even a little ashamed. But anyway, um, yes, good to fight by your side. Hebo, um, great to see you as always. You're quiet. We don't really, haven't really had a chance to connect, but maybe we should, yeah, I don't know. Go get a drink sometime. He just looks at you and nods and doesn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Uh, who, uh, now, who wants to hold on to this sword for the time being? Okay, well, here's the deal. You guys now have three suits of splint, three suits of full plate, or plate, and then uh, three half plate um, cuirasses, as well as all the weapons. I mean, we could definitely stash some stuff here. Yeah, I think we stash stuff. I think it'd be great to sell a bunch of this stuff. Somebody go get Gerard and have him bring Porthos. <laughs> load him up. <laughs> Honestly, there's other things we have to attend to. Um, but uh, Angus, can we leave these here stashed in the corner? I think we should take the sword with us, though. Oh, yes, the sword, yes. But as far as like the yes. rest of the things, we'll want to see if, if Kira wants to make use of any of these or the, the constabulary. And, and Abby, I know, I know that finders keepers or whatever, but um, I think we may have a, a fight on our hands soon. And we'll want to have everyone as well armed as possible. I think that's fair. I mean, I mean we I don't still don't like want to be, but... you know, oligarchs about it, though. So we better have the government pay us for <laughs> these <laughs> these fine weapons and armor. That's a wonderful idea. I think you probably have the best in with the queen to get us get some remuneration. I think you should go have a conversation with her. Maybe some wine. Here, Angus, do you have a bottle of wine that uh, Nari can take with her to go visit with the queen? He pulls out a very cheap bottle of wine. He says, sorry, I drank my best one the other night with this guy. And he points to uh, your highness, Roos. Oh, yeah. Classic. It was some fine wine. It really wasn't that good. <laughs> it was good enough to get me drunk. It was a delicious red and or white. oh man i forgot about that perfect all right um so yeah so things start clearing up at the kagery um the constables are all kind of leaving there's a couple constables that are staying outside just to kind of um direct traffic and and uh kind of figure out what to do going forward as far as investigations and that kind of thing uh because a report will need to be made uh to somebody um so the constables are they just for tabory or do they kind of like also have some some um like highway patrol like go between the different towns and tabory that are part of the kingdom like who would um, who would i contact to have like outriders go out and alert the neighboring cities that there's going to be potentially an adjudicator and their retinue coming through and they may not be peaceful that is exactly what i was wondering because i'd love to know where they're coming from so we can like arm the the constabulary Right. So the constabulary are the citizen soldiers. They are, um, you know, they, they have spears and they wear chain, but they're, I mean, stat wise, they're the exact same as any guard. Um, but um, also we've noticed that the, that the constabulary, the constables in particular are kind of cowardly. <laughs> yes. Well, you knew that way back uh, during the hanging with Bert when they didn't stand that, up for Bert. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but you would know that the constables, um, if you wanted to talk to somebody about like going and patrolling the streets or the, the, uh, roads from town to town, uh, you would talk to, um, actually, uh, Beatrice, uh, the, the butler of, uh, of Kira. She kind of runs that side of things. The, con- the constabulary is run by like the city council here in the, in the city, whereas, uh, you know, the, the more national, uh, matters are controlled by the castle itself. And Beatrice would be your go-to. Maybe Pine could tell the constabulary to alert Beatrice of the issue. Because um, I feel like we need to be interrogating some of the people we've captured. That's true. Although I, I, I do enjoy Beatrice's company. I wouldn't mind speaking with her. But yes, let's send a message with the, uh, with the constables. Pine, if you, if you do an insight check, Pine is still disappointed. 
Sorry, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what are you guys going to do? Are you guys going to stash all the armor and stuff here at the end? Are you guys going to put it up in your room? You're going to leave it down here in like the storage room? I think um, here in the storage room is fine. Okay. Yeah, perfect. And who is taking the sword? Pine will, if, if everybody's cool with it, Pine will just kind of put it on his back, kind of parallel with uh, Kenig's S-Doc. So now he looks like a cool anime character with two swords on his back. That's or like, exactly no, like the Witcher. He looks like the Witcher. <laughs> oh, nice. Heck yeah. oh nice. And you're all old with your gray hair, too. Like, two nice. swords that I don't actually use. <laughs> you look like uh, you look like um, Cloud ready to do Omni Slash or whatever it oh, was. You've yes. got two swords oh. on your back and you got your saber at your waist. All right, very good. And one of the swords kind of looks like Cloud's Buster. Um, oh, yeah, it's okay. like scraping on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So where to now? Brinby and Briok and Hebo are going to stay there at the tavern um, and drinking and celebrating with the, uh, with the townsfolk a bit. Um, they're not quite as... Uh, celebratory as the villagers are they they are they're not drinking to excess like a lot of these uh these townsfolk are but they are going to kind of relax a bit here so well as i see it we have a, a number of people to talk to right we have the bailiffs that we just subdued mordecai the street preacher we need to talk with kira let her know what's going on i feel like i'm missing someone there was also that one guy that uh, surrendered didn't Benjamin. drink the potion Oh, yes, the Panty Raider. I, I, <laughs> I feel like um, Mordecai is the only one who hasn't actually done any crimes. I feel like we sort of owe it owe it to the citizens to question him first and let him go if, if possible. Or not. Yeah. Well, do we all need to be there to question him? Do we, do we want to split up? Do we want to split the party, maybe? Oh, man, I've heard you don't split the party. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked out for us every time we've done it that's true kira well i don't want to think what would have happened had we not split up i mean i'm i'm down to split um, i can go to the i can go talk to that one guy that surrendered whatever his name was ben, ben. yeah ben yes. well perhaps i'll go with you Roos. um amarok and i can can accompany you on that interrogation I will not go to the keep. I'll go talk to Mordecai. <laughs> yes, I, I'll accompany you to Mordecai and, and not go to the keep. And then we'll 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 regroup here, maybe, and then we'll go. Well, I guess we're going to be the constabulary already talking to Mordecai. If you want to talk after you've talked with Ben, because he's in the castle, then come meet us at the constabulary, and we'll talk with the uh, we'll talk with the bailiffs together. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe we might be able to send a, a communique, a message back and forth, correct? Oh, yes, with the um, the, the, the fancy lads' help. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know that the range is that far. Let me double check. Isn't it a mile? Oh, it is a mile. Yeah, so, I mean, from the constabulary to the castle, that should that, that's within a mile. Okay. They're, they're both up there in the upper city. Okay. So, uh, roll the D8 for that. So, Squire will be able to run back and forth for seven hours to relay messages. Oh, man. <laughs> when you say that, you see Squire actually get up from comforting those souls, and he starts, he pulls off his boots and starts tying on some Nikes. <laughs> Doing some stretching. <laughs> he, he does some stretching, and then he, they're actually, they're, they're Reebok pumps, and he starts psh, 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 getting ready to run. <laughs> man, look at that fancy boy. He looks like a little lad who loves berries and cream. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So we're going to, we're going to accompany, who wants to go first? We've got, we've got uh, Nari and Pine going to the constabulary to talk to Mordecai. And we've got Roos and Ebby 
who are going to the castle to talk with Ben. Who would like to go first? Should we roll initiative? We, we can. Who wants to roll? <laughs> One person roll for each group. All right, Jordan, you roll for us. Oh, that's a terrible idea, but all right. Uh, with with modifier or just a D20? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, you roll with modifier. Sabrina, do you want to roll for us? Sure. Ebby rolled an 18. And Nari rolled a 12. All right. Bruce and Ebby, you leave the Kagari. There's still a crowd around outside talking about what happened. Can you believe what happened? You hear voices saying, what? I heard that there's adjudicators on their way. What happens when they find out that all these men died? And then somebody else says, well, we'll be ready for them. And there's just this general buzz going on around the Kagri. A general buzz. He was a great man to work with. (laughs) (laughs) Good commander. Terrible dancer. Good commander, yes. So anyway, um, but but it gets a little bit more normal. Like everything is a little bit uh, more as you would expect on a nice spring um, kind of early afternoon uh, in the city of Tabory. Ebby and Roos, as you approach the castle, though, you actually get the sense that there's a little bit more of a hubbub going on at the castle gate. Why don't you guys make either perception or insight checks? Ooh, okay. I'll roll an insight. Roos got a 16 insight. Yeah, Ebby got an 8. As you are approaching, I imagine Ebby, I I don't know, maybe you're just talking to Roos, or maybe you are just... um, purposefully ignoring Ruth. But <laughs> lovely weather we're having. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, is it weather? <laughs> Did you say is it weather? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make it as awkward as possible. Success. Success. <laughs> All right. Um, as you approach though, um, Ruth, you notice that the the castle gates are shut, which is good because that's what Kira said she was going to do. And standing out in front of the gates, you see um, a small contingent of people. You see um, two armed men in, um, it looks like they're wearing tabards of some kind over armor. Uh, the tabards are purple with a white symbol on it. As you get uh, closer, you recognize the symbol of a, a unicorn. So a white unicorn on a purple uh, background, which you would know is the symbol of the kingdom of Arkelvi. And uh, just for all of our listeners, Arkelvi, the city, is now its own kingdom. It's basically just kind of the valley where the city is. And it's just its local, um, the area around uh, the city of Arkelvi. And that is the kingdom of Arkelvi. And recently we had heard that an ambassador from the kingdom of Arkelvi, named Ambassador Miro, had arrived in town shortly after our heroes arrived in town. And now you see these armed men with their tabards on and standing in front of them, calling at the gate in a flustered voice, you see a tall, slender man dressed nicely with like a suit coat. He's got a like a, a scarf or a cravat, some kind um, tied around his neck. He's got long blonde hair tied back in a ponytail. He's got uh, pointed ears and a very, very smooth skin. Um, he seems mature, but um, not old. And as you approach, you hear him calling out, I must speak with the queen and make sure that she is okay. And you hear a guard call down and say, I'm sorry, sir. I'm under strict orders not to let anyone into the castle who's not authorized. And Roos and Ebby, you approach. 
as you approach, that same guard calls out and says, Oh, your highness, or um, prince, or... Just call me Roos. Um, Roos. Roos. Um, and then he calls down and says, Open the postern. And um, a little side door in the gate opens as they are allowing you and Ebby to go in and walk past these uh, this armed contingent. I'll look at them and just say, apparently we're on the list. <laughs> Ebby would stick out his tongue, but he doesn't have one. So, As you walk by and you say that, um, you see the man who had been calling out, he shuts his mouth, he stands up a little bit straighter, and he turns his back and walks away as the armored men follow behind him. And you guys go into the castle. As you approach, or as you enter the castle, one of the guards who is standing there, he says, oh, sorry, Sir Roos, your highness. Uh, sorry, we're not allowed to let anyone else in. I'm sorry you had to deal with, uh, with them out there. But um, what can we help you with today? Well, we need to go and see the prisoner. And also we want to check and see that uh, Kira is healing nicely after the events. Uh, of course, of course. Um, he takes you into the Tower Keep, which is where all of the um, hubbub happened last time. Um, so you go up the stairs uh, to the keep. As you open it up, you can see that um, the small throne room area um, is empty, save two constables. And then actually Beatrice is standing there, um, just kind of uh, directing work here in the castle. Um, but you would know that Ben... Uh, the prisoner would be downstairs, probably where the where the battle happened, where you rescued Kira in that dungeon. Okay, Russell nod at Beatrice and say, "Mr. Pine sends his regards and um, wishes that he could have been here to to speak with you, but uh, I think he'll be by later." She she looks a little bit flustered. And she says, "Ah, that man! All of you making such such extra work for me." And then uh, you can see that the constable she's actually talking to are the two that are two of the ones that, who were at the Kagri. And uh, they're talking to her about what to do with all these bodies and about uh, some of the message that Pine um, wanted conveyed about protecting the roads and looking out for adjudicators. So she's actually already on that task. Oh, and then, perfect. yeah, then of you and she is. she's Beatrice. <laughs> um, you guys then go down the stairs to the bottom floor. Um, there's a, a castle guard standing outside of the arsenal. And as you walk downstairs, he salutes you and he says, uh, uh, your highness, Roos. Uh, Just Roos. Roos. I'm, I, uh, I'm guessing that you would like to speak with the prisoner. We need to get Roos a name tag. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, for a whole year, they were calling you your highness. And now they don't know what to call you. But uh, name tag that says just Roos. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is just Roos. Um, I'm like imagining that they'll just start deferring to like lesser nobility titles. Like, yes, my lord. <laughs> like Viscount. <laughs> he, um, he will take you down into the dungeon area. Um, as he leads you into kind of the dungeon um, area where you fought before, you can see through the bars of the middle cell um, that um, Ben has been locked up. He is sitting kind of on a stool in the corner. Uh, he looks pretty rough. Not like he's been beat up or anything. Well, I guess he was beat up. You guys knocked him out. But he hasn't been hurt anymore. He just looks, he looks um, shattered. He looks uh, broken. Um, this middle cell, if you look to the cell just to the west, 
you can see, um, you can still see that symbol uh, painted in blood where Kira was going to be sacrificed. Um, the guard um, asks if you would you like to go in and speak with him. Yeah, yeah, we would. Okay, he unlocks the door, opens it, and allows you guys to step in, and then he shuts the door behind you and locks it. Ben looks up as you walk in. He, um, I, I described him last time, he's young, he's maybe 30. He's got kind of a patchy beard. Um, he's got a big like welt on the side of his head from where somebody knocked him out. Um, and um, he looks uh, depressed and sad. You see tear stains on his cheeks. And he says, oh, you've, you've come back. Is, have I been judged? Am I, am I going to be killed? That's, I don't know that that's for me to decide, but I want to know why you were here. Why did you try and kill the queen? Because that's what we were we were told. That's what we were told Iramil needed. That's what we were told we were supposed to do. Who told you that? Well, I I was told by Julia. She she was our leader, and she she told us that she was in talks with somebody higher up, uh, a high priest of Iramil, who she'd been. In, contact with said that said that Iramil was displeased with with Tabori and with Kira and to to end it would help bring about inevitability and we just thought we were doing what was, what was supposed to happen <laughs> so how did you meet this Julia and and are there more of you in this city uh, no we I imagine I'm the only one left I think everyone else drank their potions. They all drank the Thu. What did you call it? We, we call it Thu. And what does it do exactly? It makes you stronger. It makes you less susceptible to the pains of the body. It it helps you fight on after your body should should have ended and then it kills you. So I guess this might be important to what, what we decide to do with you, but did you have a change of heart because you didn't want to die or because you knew what you were doing was wrong? You can see him start to say, I, I, I had a, a change of heart. And then he sees that you guys aren't buying it. He says, I, I thought I was ready to sacrifice everything for the inevitable. I thought I was ready to sacrifice everything for Iramil. And I'm not, I'm not ready to die. Hmm. So I'm a, a coward. That's what it looks like. The push to preserve one's life is innate in all of us. I don't know that there's necessarily anything cowardly about not wanting to partake of something that would result in your inevitable demise. I can tell you about Thu, uh, if that will help. Um, yes, I think that would be helpful. So Thu is a, it's a potion that Julia got from somebody. Uh, she kept mentioning a name, Silas. I don't know where Silas is, but this Thu, um, it's its like nothing I'd ever seen before. It's incredibly dangerous and, and powerful, but we were each given one vial and told not to, lo not to lose it, not to drop it. It was um, worth a fortune. And uh, yeah, I, I wish I would have never left Montman Ravine. If, those, if it is worth a fortune, it seems like a lot of capital. What significance does Tavery have? I was 
informed that Tabri should not be, and that Iramil has decreed that Tabri uh, is pushing against inevitability, and that the words that were preached to me were that she is led by a headstrong queen that will stop inevitability. And as he's saying that, you can see he's kind of, the wheels are running in his mind, and it doesn't sound like it makes sense to him. Like, this is the first time he's kind of really thinking it through. Did you just say your prophet or whoever this person was said that inevitability could be stopped? He kind of thinks about it and he says, I, not in so many words, just that Tabory, Tabory was halting inevitability somehow. But that shouldn't be. I mean, it's inevitable, right? Well, that's what the word implies. There's a great deal about your deity that you frankly have no idea about. He's missing an arm. Did you know that? He, what? Missing an arm? I. How? How would you even know that? And he looks fabulous in jeans. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, guys, that ass. <laughs> oh man. He uh, he drops to his knees in front of you, and he starts kind of uh, groveling on the floor, and he says, "I I realize I've made a mistake. I I should have never come. I should have never left home. I should have never followed Julia. I." I realize I was wrong. I want to I want to make it right. I want to repent. I don't want to die. And he starts to cry. You mentioned a place that you came from. Is that where your organization is gathered? Actually, so he said Montman Ravine. And you would know that Montman Ravine, M-O-N-T-M-A-N, Ravine, is that last push as you're going up into the valley where Arkelvy is. So after you head as far east as you can in this area um, and you go past Terran's Hill, you go up through the ravine and into Arkelvy. So so you guys were gathered there or he says he says we were all from that yeah we were all from that area. Um, we were all a congregation, I guess you could say. We we all knew each other and and we all came together. Julia led us here. Hmm. We just to make sure I understand Julia, was she the one that was trying to perform the ritual on Kira? She was to take the lead, yes. She she had the, the magic dagger and she had the the magic spell. But why not just kill Kira? I don't it seems like performing a ritual seems significantly more challenging to try to pull off in a hostile environment. That's why it was necessary to take the Thu. We we couldn't just assassinate her. It had to be, it had to be this, this spell. That's what we were told. That's what Julia told me. But what did the spell do? What was the point? It appeased Iramil. You guys can make an insight check. I mean, certainly killing her would have just appeased Iramil, right? Am I, am I missing something here? Bruce got a 21 on insight. Abby got a 24. He's very picky about the way he gets a piece with his human sacrifices. As, as, as you guys are, are, are kind of questioning, you're saying, you know, why wouldn't he just... And you're like, are we missing something? You realize, no, you're not missing something. Um, ben missed something by not questioning earlier. Like, this doesn't make sense. And Roos, um, you remember being in that cell and looking at that dagger, that kind of ceremonial, crude-looking dagger... And now that you're looking back, you're like, theater. Why did it have to be such a 
kind of a gaudy, jagged, you know, over-the-top dagger. Hmm. Pine and Nari, as you are walking through the city towards the constabulary, you, um, the constabulary, Pine has been here before, um, way back, episode, I don't know, six or seven, when he was trying to rouse the constabulary to help um, stop the hanging of Bert. The building itself, the western half is the kind of city hall, and the eastern half is the constabulary. There's a small arsenal there, there are some cells there, there's a basement, apparently, which you have never been into. But you approach the constabulary, and um, as you guys enter, um, you can see that uh, the entrance to the constabulary actually takes you right straight into the barracks. Um, There's a couple of constables that are in there uh, who are just kind of um, getting ready for their their shift uh, patrolling the city. Um, and as you walk in, they both kind of sit up. One of them's in the process of pulling on some pants and they both kind of stand up and then his pants fall down. Then he pulls them back up and they salute. Yeah, don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) Ambassador, uh, what, what brings you here? Huddies, Huddies. We're here to see, um, a man was brought in earlier today, uh, a street preacher. We had some questions for him. I hope that he's been kept comfortable. Oh, uh, of course he, he's in a cell, but he, he has not been mistreated. Here, let, let me show you. And then he kind of pulls up his pants the rest of the way, tightens on a belt. He's like, here, follow me. And he will take you. Um, there is actually a, uh, a, there's two doors here in this room. One of them goes into the arsenal. One of them goes back into the cells. But he takes you through the, uh, through the Western door and into where the cells are. And he, he leads you to a cell. The cell is kind of dark. Um, but you guys can see that in that cell is um, Mordecai. Um, you see a couple other people in some of the other cells. They look like, you know, just your normal, not, not to be rude, but riffraff. People who, um, you know, are normally causing trouble. People you may have run into before, like um, Sleeve McDykel, who's constantly peeing in the fountains. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you guys remember that. I do remember that now. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, so you can see uh, Mordecai um, in this cell and as uh, Pine and Nari, as you approach, he looks up from this little stool uh, in the corner and he doesn't say anything. As we're coming in, I will ask the, the constable leading us, I'll say, is this also how you access the oubliette? Is it in here? Oh, yes, sir. The oubliette is downstairs. I, I can show it to you. We'll, we'll, we'll go after. We need to talk first. As they're coming in, Nari also wants to ask, uh, was there anything like, did you did you search him at all was there anything strange on his person or did you just bring him straight to the cell um he actually shows you there's like a little desk over in the corner he says actually all of his things are here he all he had was just a little bit of money a few coppers and some silvers and then um he had this box and then he shows you this little like almost like a a crate um basically a soap box um that he was carrying around and standing on he says this was all that he had so um we that we just left it out here all right, so there you are. You guys are standing in front of the cell. Um, the constable says, is there anything that I can do for you or would you like to talk to him through the bars? I think you could probably open the cage. I think it's fine. He can collect his things. Is there a, is there a place where we may be a little more comfortable to speak with him? Uh, of course. You can come and speak with him um, either in the arsenal. That's fine. I- I'll take you to the arsenal. Okay. 
and he he opens the door as the other constable comes and brings over the box and the little bag of coins and then they lead you into this other room um which is actually full of weapons and armor um <laughs> but um, exactly where through... you want someone you're questioning <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mordecai follows along behind one constable as the other constable kind of brings up the rear and you guys enter as well. And so now you have a constable taking up. Um, there, there's there's two doors in this room. One of them leads back into the dungeon. The other one leads back up into the into the barracks. And um, one of these constables stands at the door to each. Um, and Mordecai goes and finds a bench and sits down. He says, well, I'm sure you have some questions for me. Many, I hoped that, uh, that we weren't too imposing. We wanted to ask you some questions, but unfortunately, things took a turn elsewhere in town, and we were distracted, and we didn't get, we couldn't arrive as quickly as we wanted. But um, your your preaching greatly interests us. Yes, I I'm glad that it's reaching somebody. But uh, and he looks around the room. He says, "I was told there'd be four, but." And he looks at the two constables. He says, I don't think that these are the other two that I was told would be here. Who, who told you for? I, I have a message for you. Yes. From whom? The angel speaks with the voice of gratitude. Gratitude to you two as well as the others. To you four. I now speak as the angel himself. And he stops and he kind of clears his voice and then he starts to talk. And as he talks, his eyes kind of go blank and you hear, you have done more to bring about the inevitable than any others in the history of this world. And so you have my deepest thanks. Also, I bear you no ill will nor hold any grudge for any of your many misdeeds in the past. And I ask your forgiveness though you probably will not give it. Our earlier interactions were clouded, and I was not quite myself. Now that I am whole, my emotions are under control, in check, whereas during our past interactions, I was driven by just a small part of me, my ambition and need. Now that is done away, and I am complete. The things you have set in motion are crashing towards finality. You cannot stop it. Try if you must, but you will fail. It would be better for you to enjoy what time is left to you than to seek me out. Choose wisely, but if you deem it necessary to pursue me, know this, that five will in turn seek you out. And so I bid you farewell forever. And then you see his eyes go back to their, they're not so glazed. They come back to more of a, uh, a consciousness and you see a small trickle of blood coming out of his nose. What the hell was that? We didn't even get to talk to him. <laughs> a message. That was a message for you from the angel himself. You should count yourself lucky to have heard his voice, even if it was just through me. Oh, oh, we've heard his voice. We've seen his ample booty fill a good pair of jeans. Do you I, do you speak with the angel often? The angel the angel does not speak to me, but I feel drawn to him. And I knew that I had this message to share. And now that I have shared it, I will continue my preaching. 
Well, okay. Is there any other questions you have for me? So many questions. Tell us about you. How did you come to serve inevitability? How did you come to have this message for us? Well, it started with dreams. I would hear messages in my dreams, and they were powerful. They were more than dreams. And suddenly it became clear that I was being directed by something more powerful than myself. And I was, through these dreams, through these not so much messages, more feelings, I was directed to others who who were having similar experiences and they were gathering and they were discussing the inevitable. They were discussing the shattering. They were discussing what is to come. And I realized that I was a mouthpiece for what is to come. What, what is to come? The inevitable. Right. Which is... Do you have any more information on that? The end. The end. So no darkness, no rest, just nothing. Just roll the credits. Not even credits, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So did you know the other cult of inevitability members who were here in town? Why would Iramil need a dead queen? That confuses us as well. Well, that is the question you should be asking yourself. Why would Iramil need a dead queen? Well, if we are to humor you with this thought experiment, one, either it wasn't Iramil, or B, Iramil is not as powerful, inevitability is not as inevitable as you'd hope. And in my experience, he's not that powerful, unless you're talking about that booty. <laughs> a powerful booty. It's hypnotic, guys. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember it bouncing on Crumble's back? Like, oh man. <laughs> well, he says. He says, I can assure you, it is not the second option. Well, so you say. Um, it's obvious that you've been influenced by Iramil. If it's all inevitable, though, why, why warn us? Why have a mouthpiece at all? He shrugs. He says, "That is what I am driven to do." Do I feel like he's holding anything back? Make an insight check. That's a natural 20 for a 20. Noise. <laughs> that's great. You feel like he is being honest. You feel like he's being a little bit coy with you, but you don't feel like he is being deceptive per se. Okay. You feel like he enjoys a little bit the fact that he knows more than you, but he's not lying. No wonder Apple Bottom chose him. That's totally the vibe that uh, Chancellor Ramsey always gave off, too. A little bit. Am I free to go? Uh, we might have some more questions. Uh, Nari, do you have anything you ask? I just, I wanted to know where you're from, where you met with these other people, these other followers of inevitability. I'm actually from just outside of the city of Almar. I traveled a long way to get here, to share that message. And you came directly here. You knew we would be here. I knew that somebody would be here who needed that message. And when I saw you two enter, I, I knew that this would be my best chance to deliver it. Are there others in the city who follow the same scripture that you do? 
Oh, probably. Am I in touch with them? No. That's a good point. You seem to be very open with your worship. Our experience so far with the followers of inevitability has been very secret. They've been very um, close guarded. Why is that? Why are you so open and they're so secretive? Why should I need to hide? What is going to happen is going to happen. We should not fear it. We should just embrace it. Why hide that? Why keep it secret? Why sneak around in the dark? Exactly. So why are the other followers of the meal and inevitability, why are they sneaking around in the dark? What are their designs? Do you know? Have you had contact with them? No. I have not. I have had contact with Iremil the angel himself. What does that tell you? Well, you, you did just say that you've never talked to him, correct? No, but feelings. I get the feelings. Hmm. I also get the feelings. <laughs> Whatever I think of that booty. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, sorry. Enough about the booty. Enough about the booty. It's just... It's burned into my retinas, man. Am I free to go? Just one more question. One, sorry, one more and then you're free to go. Has it ever worked? Have you ever actually got an orgy going? (laughs) (laughs) He gives you a wink. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) And then he stands up. The constables kind of stand up or they kind of come to and they look at you, uh, you two, Pine and and Nari, and like, uh, is it okay if we let him go, basically? He was a messenger, and his message has been delivered. I think, um, while you're in town, expect to have an eye on you. But you won't be harmed as long as you do nothing wrong. I I will be moving on. Hmm. But I appreciate your kindness, your honesty, and your willingness to listen. Hopefully, you'll take the message that I shared to heart. Well, before he leaves, where do you, where do you plan on going next? I will wait for that dream to tell me but probably east. He holds his hand out for the uh, bag of, little bag of coppers and silver and the box, and the constable hands them back to him, and um, he opens up the door and escorts him out. And as soon as he leaves, I'll turn to the other constable, and Nari will say, keep an eye on him. Um, if he leaves the city, I, I want to be alerted immediately. Yes, 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 ma'am. And then he will uh, leave as well. And you guys are left in the arsenal of the... Uh, constabulary. Well, that didn't go at all like I expected. Holy moly. No, it, it seems like Ramsey or Iramil or Applebottom, whatever you want to call him, is still meddling in our lives. Man, told us not to meddle in his. Hmm. Why would he need to stop us if we were to continue to meddle? Why would we need to be punished for meddling if it's going to happen? I think despite what this preacher said, I think we have more control than the Niramil would like to admit. I agree. I, I'm not sure what we need to do, but I think that, I think that we can do something. He said five would come after us if we go after him. How many, how many adjudicators are left? That's exactly what I was going to ask. There are four adjudicators left. If if no adjudicators have died between the shattering and now, there would be four left. Well, then that, there goes that. Okay. 
Well, but they, they're looking for their sword, and they're for sure not going to get their axe back. That's so. true. Well, let's, uh, let's regroup then. Bruce and Abby should be along shortly. I think I'll sit and rest until until they arrive. You don't want to check out the, the boobliette? <laughs> well, actually, uh, Bruce and Abby, is there anything else you guys wanted to ask Ben before you leave? I imagine that we would be relaying some messages between the groups via Squire. Okay. Yeah, and I, I don't know that there's anything else that we can glean from Ben necessarily. I don't know, unless, Scott, if you think there's something else. No, the only thing that I would say uh, maybe to the to the whole group would be um, I don't think that the attack on the keep had anything to do with inevitability. I think that Arkelvy orchestrated it and abused the faith of some people and sent them to kill Kira. That my, that aligns with what we got from uh, Mordecai. Made a great point. Well, it, it's a little bit concerning then that someone from Arkelvy is at the gate trying to see Kira. Yeah. Not that I care, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm worried about it. <laughs> is it possible that the kingdom of Arkelvy and the Tower of Judgment are colluding together to take out what they see as a common obstacle? I mean, it's possible. King Tenor was an imperial-appointed governor, so he probably had some some kind of connection or interaction with the Tower of Judgment at his time in the empire, with the Empire. Yeah, but I... From the message that you guys said from Iramil, it sounds like he doesn't really care about us anymore, and if we left him alone, he would leave us alone. I don't think he has any interest in Tabory. Right, yeah, I agree, but um, the, the adjudicators may. That's true. Well, again, I, I was saying this to Nari, but I'll share it here. The fact that the fact that um, Iramil issued a threat were we to pursue him, that makes me think that we have more control in the situation than he wants us to believe. Why try to stop us? Why send five after us? If what's going to happen will happen. If it's already all set in motion and written in stone. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go and tell Kira what we've learned, and then we'll meet you guys back. I'm going to have a nice sit. Okay. Wait, where are the bailiffs that we bludgeoned? They are in the building that you're in right now, Nari. They're in the constabulary, but they're in the basement. In okay. the oubliette. The yes, the oublier. <laughs> Oublois. <laughs> Oublois. Uh, yeah, so we'll just wait for the other two to show up. And if it's if Perfect. it's if it's cool, Paul, I will uh, start a little short rest. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anybody who wants to do a short rest right now, that is 100% fine. Woohoo, let's do that. All right. Um, so, uh, Roos, you're going to go talk to your sister a little bit. You're just going to kind of clue her in as to everything that's been going on. Yeah, all I wanted to say was basically that uh, just appraise her of everything that we learned and let her know that Arkelvy is trying to kill her. The King Tenor wants her dead so that he can take the land. Okay, as you're talking to her about that, um, she does mention, she says, uh, Ambassador Miro showed up at the front gate today of the castle trying to get in to discuss what happened last night. Somehow the rumor got out and he has heard that we were attacked. 
Um, he, of course, wants to come and offer his assistance and condolences for any harm that came to me, but I, I don't trust that man. I don't trust him either. I would send back a very carefully worded message to King Tenor. A warning, perhaps? I, I don't know. You're better at this stuff than I ever was. I will, I will think on it. I appreciate all you've done for me, brother. I, I feel like I'm going to be leaving soon again. I don't know when, when we all four get together, things, crazy things start happening. And I feel like, I feel like something, something's growing and, and I don't know that I can stay here and help you. I understand. I understand. I, I will keep our people safe and you go do what you need to do for everybody else. Okay. Well, that's as emotional as I want to get. So I'll see you later. <laughs> she wipes a tear from her eyes saying, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> and then she like gives you a little punch on the shoulder. Bro. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> as you are leaving the castle, um, I think I'm pretty sure uh, passive perceptions. I know that Nari's is high as well as uh, Roos's is very high. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Nari and Roos, you both... Um, as you guys are waiting to kind of trying to reconvene, you, um, you hear something, um, something distant, um, but it is, uh, unmistakable, especially, um, after the experiences you guys have had, you hear what sounds like copters and the thrumming of an airship approaching the city. And sure enough, as you leave the castle and look up in the sky, you can see in the distance um, to the south, coming towards the city, you see one airship flying towards uh, towards Tabry. And it, it's coming from the south, you said? It's coming from the south, yes. Mm. It is coming towards Tabry. You guys know that here in the city of Tabry, there is no place to land an airship or to dock an airship. Um, airships have to be kind of tethered off to something um, like uh, they have skyports in some of the bigger cities where you just basically it's like a, a large tower with a like a pier that comes off and you will tether the airship to that like a like you're parking a ship up against a dock um, or they can land in water. But you know that running water, uh, moving water is much more difficult to land in. And so most airships don't bother trying to land in rivers that have any kind of flow. And the river here uh, at Tabury is too uh, swift for landing airships. However, as you watch this airship approach, you see it lower and lower in the sky until it um, it gets down to the river that runs along the southern edge of the city. And uh, what are you guys doing at this point as this airship starts to approach the city? Oh, I, th- I think I'm rushing over toward the, the southern gate then. Uh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not letting Pine go by himself. He'll break a hip. <laughs> I will say this as part of my short rest if I was able to finish it I was able to get a level 2 spell slot back and so while I'm doing that I'll be calling for Crumbles okay um, yeah Crumbles shows up on your trek towards the southern gate the southern gate actually opens up onto a place called Tabry Landing there's a little section of the city that is outside of the city gate and that is where the, the ferry that goes across the river that's where it lands on this north side of the city um, the other side of the river is called um, Gorton's Ferry. And it's a little small, tiny little hamlet type of a 
uh, a situation, just a few houses. Um, there is a small inn slash tavern on that side of the river as well. But there is a crystal powered ferry that goes across the river back and forth, uh, bringing people and goods uh, across the river. And as you guys approach that southern gate of the city, um, you see this airship come in very, very low and it actually lands in the river, which having been on an airship, you guys know that this is a very dangerous, very tricky maneuver. And yet this airship, as it touches down in the river and drops anchors and things into the river, it is expertly handled. Can we tell anything about it as far as like whether it's from Almar? I'm assuming not Arkovi. Yeah, Arkovi is further east. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, with your passive perception, you can actually read the name on the side of the ship. It, the airship is called the Angel's Might. Oh, heck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anybody who has been listening to our podcast for some time, if you rack your brain, that might sound a little bit familiar or maybe not. Anyway, this airship lands in the river and it actually anchors up and is, um, parked. It's, it's stable there in this river as the water is flowing by and you see that they drop a small, um, a small dinghy into the water as they, um, a few figures get into this dinghy and row it across to the uh, the pier on this north side of the river. Um, are you guys like at the gate on the outside, on the inside? Are you guys like going up into the gatehouses, uh, like looking out over it, like from inside of the of the gatehouse, or like where are you guys? Situated? Can we be, can we be on the wall? You guys can be on the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If sure there's thing. a gate, like I want to be on top of it. Sure thing. Mr. Pine, we should probably do something with the sword. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Too late. You guys are there with the sword. (laughs) At least take it off of your shoulder and like, you know, set it on the ground or something. Uh, You guys are hilarious. I will will do that. I don't think you should necessarily leave it like unattended. Maybe maybe let's hold on to it for a second. No, you hold on to it. You're probably the beefiest. Yeah, Nari will take it. I just don't want them to see it right away. Yeah, well, Nari Nari's will take also it and strap it to her side, so that way, like from the top of the gate, like it's not visible. Oh, it's too long to strap to your side, even though you're seven feet tall. I think, right, Paul? <laughs> um, Is it? It's big. It's too long to strap to your side. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's it's got to go over the shoulder. Well, I'll throw it over my shoulder, but like a continental shoulder. <laughs> Nari is broad enough that she probably would cover a lot more of it than Pine would with his body. So you guys uh, get to the wall, the the constables who are um, on the city wall. Um, they they let you up because they know who you are. And you, uh, you watch as this dinghy approaches the pier. And as the, um, the, the little rowboat comes in and uh, kind of lashes off to the edge of the pier, you see... Uh, two figures step out of the dinghy. One is a woman. She's dressed in like a, a robe. Um, she's got long hair. She's got spectacles kind of down on the uh, bridge of her nose. And as she gets out, she's actually looking down in a book like she's in the middle of reading something. And then she kind of steps out and um, 
when she's on uh, the the dry ground, almost like it surprises her. And she, she kind of looks up from her book and looks around and then she closes her book and puts it into a pouch, uh, like a, a sack around her waist. And the other figure that gets out is actually um, heavily, heavily armored. You cannot see um, this person's face. There is um, large shoulder pads. Uh, there's a helmet. There are like some spikes and things on the shoulder pad. There's like a fur trimmed cloak over that very shrouded and um, dark armor. And uh, you can see a great sword um, at the, on the back of this other figure. And they both step out of the dinghy as they begin to approach the city. And believe it or not, this is where we're going to stop for tonight. (laughs) Can we yell down? Your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberry. <laughs> you you totally yes, can. Um, one thing I want to mention is that the city itself has really um, is really like uh, uh, interested in what's just happened because they there has never been like an airship that actually has actually landed in the river before. So this is already a sight. And then to see these two figures get out um, and step up onto the pier um, is is kind of something else. Uh, anyway, hey, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you like what we're doing. Tell a friend, go leave us a rating and a review. Uh, Most podcasting apps will let you give us five stars. So go ahead and do that. We really appreciate it. And until we get together next time, we hope you have a great time.